morning. Um, the night I read Reverend Jessica's email invited me to preach. I was lying down in bed, getting ready to sleep. Um, it was very late in the night. I rarely have problem sleeping. Not even when I received payment ultimatum from the business office that, hey, you're hoeing and it is time to pay. If you don't pay, we're going to block your account. With all that threat, I still go to bed. Uh, but as soon as I read Reverend Jessica's email, I lost my sleep. Many thoughts flashed into my heart. Me of all people. What on earth is this? Who told her to invite me? How I wish she would send me another email saying, Samuel, the previous email I sent to you was a mistake. But as I read the email again and again, I realized I didn't have much time to think about it because she had requested a reply that same day or the next day. Now, left with no option, I knew I must give a response within 24 hours. Meanwhile, over the years, listening to the crop of great men and women who had preached from this pulpit, I have often asked myself, what if I'm invited to preach in a state chapel? I remember saying to myself one day, no, it won't happen. Maybe after my graduation. But here I am standing behind this hallowed pulpit today before you great people of the almighty God. In a nutshell, all I'm saying is, Reverend Jessica, I appreciate this invitation. I do not take it for granted. So today, I'll be speaking to you on the title of the message, It is No News. It is No News. And for the sake of repetition, I would like to read my text again. That was the gospel that was read to us a while ago. Mark chapter 4 verses 37 to 41. A furious score came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let us pray. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love what thou dost love and do what 
prior to Mark chapter 4, Mark the gospeler gives us different messianic work that Jesus did, varying from exorcism, healings, answering questions about fasting and healing, and the Sabbath, and teaching through parables. All along, a large crowd from Galilee, as well as many people from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, Transjordan, and the region of Tyre and Sidon, had come to Jesus for several reasons. Some of them wanted to see him for the first time. Some of them wanted to hear the message. Some of them wanted to criticize him. Some of them were looking for a way of actually picking his word so that they can learn him. Some of them actually wanted to get blessed, and so they sought for him. In the evening of the day that Jesus compares God's kingdom with a grain of mustard seed, he decided to cross over to the eastern side of the lake. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by high mountains, and this location makes it very susceptible to sudden violent storms. I was there in 2017, and I know what the scripture is talking about. I mean, in 2007. Perhaps that was why the disciples went with other, I mean, other fishermen who were experienced sailors. Alas, with all the people they gathered on the sea, a furious call came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. But you know what? Jesus was in the stern, sleeping in a cushion. One might think that this incident is the same as Jonah's, but they are not the same. Jonah and other travelers with him experienced storm and loss of property because Jonah's disobedience. But Jesus, his disciples, and other fishermen experienced storm because Jesus was obedient to his father. Now the question is, how can someone comfortably sleep in such a dangerous situation? Did Jesus know there would be violent storm? I intend to answer that question shortly. In the meantime, the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? What a rude way to talk to Jesus. What the disciples actually were telling him is that we are trying to rescue everyone on this boat. We are trying to save our lives. We are doing everything to make sure everything go well here. And you are here sleeping. It seems as if you care less. You do not care about our lives. But Jesus ignored their rough way of speaking to him, their insult. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so filled with fear? Why is it that all along you've been coming with me and up to now you have not really learned anything from me? 
Why is it that those who are far away from me find it so easy to believe me, to believe who I am? Why is it that up to now you still have no faith? So did Jesus know there would be a violent storm? I believe Jesus has the foreknowledge or he was so in tune to the Holy Spirit as to know what will happen. Jesus certainly knew there would be a storm. He did know when his hour was to come and he knew this was not his hour. Perhaps this was why he could be at perfect peace even when others were in trouble and panicking. For this reason, I love Matthew's account of this incident. Matthew says that Jesus got up and he addressed his disciples. He asked them the two questions that Matt also reported. And all along, the storm was still ragging and he was talking to his disciples. And that shows that he is in charge of everything. And it was after he has talked to his disciples, he now turned to the storm and the waves and commanded it to be quiet. And this is because it is no news to him. It is no news to Jesus. The storm was no news to Jesus. As fully God and fully human, Jesus was not unaware of the impending furious call. Neither was he surprised that the great windstorm nearly made the boat swamp. He was, however, surprised that his disciples were a bunch of fearf fearful, faithless people. Hence, he asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, Jesus is asking his disciples, don't you know that by faith, you can steal this storm. You can steal the storm. Don't you know that with me, the master of the universe, God from God, light from light, true God from true God with you, in the boat, you cannot perish. That is what Jesus Christ was asking these people. Listen, just as it is no news to Jesus, that the storm arose and almost made the boat swamp, it is also no news to God that the church today exists in the midst of complexities, complexities of individualism, of relativism, of technology, hyper-technology, of secularism and pluralism. It is no news to God that the church of today, the 21st century, is living in the midst of complexities. It is no news to God that our Christian heritage is under attack in so many places. I say to you today, it is no news to God that our, in our generation, the love of many Christians is fast waxing cold. It is no news to God that the spirits of materialism and consumerism are being enthroned today in our society. It is no news to God that one and one half million unborn American babies are being aborted each year. I say to you today, it is no news to God that the church is being persecuted every day, every minute. It is no news to God 
it is no news to your God, it is no news to my God that the society that we live in today upholds sexual freedom and redefinition of sexuality. It is no news to him. Because the scripture is clear about these things. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, the scripture says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiven, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, crutch, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying the power thereof. It is no news to God that we are facing what we are facing today as a church. However, just as Jesus was surprised that his disciples failed to act appropriately when the storm arose, he is also surprised that today's church is failing largely in its missional responsibility to the world. God is surprised about the church's attitude of indifference and silence over ungodliness. God is surprised that some of us are deeply concerned but not speaking up. God is surprised that the church, the light of the world, who supposedly should give direction to the world, now receives direction from the world, consciously or unconsciously. God is surprised that the church that once evangelized the rest of the world, the people living in darkness with biblical truth, has now largely compromised the faith and looking for what is convenient. God is surprised at how fast the church has become fearful, faithless assembly. You see, most Christians, especially in the West, when we have persecution and suffering, we are quick to ask God, God, why can't we go back to the good old days? Why can't we go back to the days when we are Christian culture? Why can't we go back to the glory days? But I tell you, you're not going back. God is not going to bring those days. Because this is why the church is here. But the question God is asking is, why do you ask silly questions? Why do you want silly kind of answer to this question? And I perceive God is saying, I told you that there will always be persecution. I told you in every age that the church will face evil. I told you in every age that you are going, if you are going to be my disciples, these things are going to happen to you. The fact that the church is surprised is what is surprising to God. The fact that the church is surprised about the complexities she's living in the midst of today is what actually makes God surprised. It's like we want a different mission field, but we are not going to get it. If we are living out the gospel, 
we should expect these things to happen. It is obvious that the disciples were afraid, and we are afraid too. We are afraid of human authority. We are afraid of being killed. We are afraid of rejection. We are afraid that if we open our mouths, people may not accept our message. We are afraid of persecution. We are afraid of the storm. Folks, may I remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you think that the best way to live is to dodge persecution, is to dodge trials and all kinds of storms, we are not yet there. The church does not thrive in the midst of convenience, but in the midst of inconvenience and persecution. Before I close this message, I would like to give you two quick action steps on how to respond to the storms in our lives, on how to respond to the complexities that we have found ourselves today. Number one is deal with your fear. Deal with your fear. Deal with what you fear. Fear is a bully. And I like that when the Spirit of the Lord dropped that in my heart. Fear is a bully. Fear is a major spiritual weapon the devil uses against the Christians. Do not ignore your fear. Do not underestimate it. And do not cringe when it bullies you. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The person that you carry is so great, is so mighty. And I tell you, if it is not your time to die, you are not going to die in the face of the storm. If it is not your time to, be, to perish, you are not going to perish. But if it is time for you to be imprisoned because of God's word, then so be it. I tell my children and my wife from time to time, look, we are in this country to do God's will, God's will. And wherever he leads us, we go. And even the cause of doing God's will, your dad, your husband doesn't come back home. Or your dad, your husband is in prison. Please, take it that it is time. Because we must live out the real Christian life. The real Christianity. We must not conform to the culture of the society. And that is not just for Samuel and his family. It is for everyone that is called after the name of the Most High. Confront your fear with faith because fear fears faith. Number two, be mad. Everybody say be mad. Say be mad. Don't be afraid. And when I say be mad, I'm not talking about mental craziness, mental problem, mental insanity. That's not what I mean. Uh, mad stands for make a difference. Make a difference. Be determined to make a difference for the sake of God's kingdom. Wherever you find yourself as a professor, as a Christian, as a staff in this school, as a student, no matter who you are, wherever you find yourself, wherever God sends you, please determine to make a difference. 
Don't follow the status quo. Don't do things the way it is done everywhere. The fact that somebody has not done something that is different does not mean that God cannot speak through you. It doesn't mean that God cannot plant and change situations in the town and the cities that you find yourself. Make a difference. Be determined to make a difference. The highly acclaimed reformer, theologian, and the priest, uh, a senior colleague, I called him, John Wesley. You know, he was an Anglican. Uh, whatever you want to do with that, he was an Anglican, and he remained an Anglican, even though he started Methodist society. Uh, I believe that <laughs> those who kicked him out of Anglican uh, were not in the spirit. But in other way, they had brought the will of God to pass. Because if they didn't keep, kick him out, perhaps he would not have done what he did. I think of as, I mean, John Wesley as the bishop, the archbishop, the primate that the Anglican church never had. We all talk about him in this place. I hear often messages about him from this pulpit, from the classroom. But you know what? That man that we talk about made a difference in his time. He determined to make a difference. If he didn't make a difference, we would not be talking about him today. Friends, this is a reawakening call to us as individuals and as a community. As you come to table this morning, come by faith. The storm you are currently experiencing in your life, in your home, in your ministry, in your workplace, wherever you experience it, is no news to God. God knows about it. Be at peace because Jesus is still very much in the boat. He might be sleeping with you and Jesus in the boat. You will not drown. You will not perish. Please rise up as I pray.